How many know that Anthony could preach up here? All right, could we uh, stand together in honor of God's word? We are week three in the book of Jonah, and now we're in chapter three. Here we go. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, And filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have a message today. You have given me a message. Now I ask that you would give it to each heart here. Would you hide me, God, behind the cross? Could people not see me, be irritated by me? Could they see you and be able to hear what you're saying? Lord, what concerns us is what the Spirit is saying to the church. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, please come and speak to every single heart, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message today is A Great Awakening. Point one is defining awakening. Revival is always about the church. Revival is about when the church comes back to life. It is revived to life. So in the book of Jonah, the the revival comes to Jonah. 
Jonah was a, a man of God, a prophet of God, and he just became kind of crusty and cold in his heart. And when God told him to do something, he fled the other way and disobeyed and got into all kinds of trouble. And then God gives him a second chance and he repents in the, in the belly of the fish and he, he owns his sin and he, he re-tenderizes and reconnects. And, 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 and there's, a re, there's a revival in Jonah and he is now willing to go where wherever God wants him to go. And, and so the revival is about Jonah. Awakening is about the world. Awakening is when those who had no sense of God, who didn't know God, who, who didn't even know that there was a God, when, when they start waking up. The awakening is in Nineveh. And it's astonishing. Jonah comes, preaches a very brief message, and everyone from the least to the greatest all of a sudden believes. They believe God. They, they believe God is holy. They believe they are sinful. They own their sinfulness. They are not entitled. They're not saying God owes us. They repent. The, the king comes down from his throne and says, we're calling an, a citywide fast, a citywide repentance. And there's no entitlement in it if perhaps God will have mercy on us. This is stunning, folks. It's just stunning. Awakening. There have been two great awakenings. Oh, let me give you the definition first. This is the Sentinel group. They did the transformation videos. What, what, does, what does it look like for a community to be transformed? They've identified hundreds of communities throughout the world that are in transformation None of them are in the United States, but they're, they've identified them and they define what they're looking for. What, what would it mean to say that there's an awakening or a transformation? A city or region whose values and institutions have been overrun by the grace and presence of God. A place where divine fire has not merely been summoned, it has fallen. A society disrupted by supernatural power. A culture that has been impacted comprehensively and undeniably by the kingdom of God. And a location where kingdom values are celebrated publicly and passed on to future generations. Transforming revival starts with an appeal to heaven. So there's been... Two great awakenings in this country. One was in the 1700s. It was the 13 original colonies. It was the American guy was named Jonathan Edwards. The two guys that came over from England were George Whitfield and John Wesley. And there was a nationwide awakening. Just to give you an idea of what this looks like, Boston at that time had a population of around 15,000. When George Whitfield spoke in the open air, this is according to Benjamin Franklin, 30,000 people showed up. I mean, this is stunning. This is, can you imagine this? Twice the city is there and it's in there. There's no sound system. It's in the open air. And God was awakening people. 
The second great awakening was in the 1800s. The primary characters were uh, a man named Charles Finney, who was a lawyer that got converted and preached the gospel with great authority and power. But there was another guy named Father Nash. Father Nash was the intercessor. Before Charles Finney would go to a city, he would send Father Nash. Father Nash would grab a group of intercessors, and they would, they would find a, a residence, and they would start calling out and crying out to God and groaning for that city, for God's mercy to fall. And then Finney would come, and revival fire broke out everywhere. In the 1900s and the 20th century, there have been many, many revivals, many times when God's people have come alive, God's people have been excited. Revival is when the church talks about Jesus, not just on Sunday morning, but the church becomes alive and excited, and Monday through Saturday, there, Jesus is just in the conversation. It's not, it, he's more exciting and, and more on our mind than the Packers, or than your favorite TV show, and there is an excitement. There is a sense of surprise. God is on the move. God is alive. God is in our midst, and when that's happening in the church, that's the church waking back up. That's the church waking up to who he is, and who we are in him. That's, that's revival in the church, and there's been many of them in the 1900s and the 20th century, but no, no awakening. What does awakening look like? Awakening is when Jesus isn't just the talk of the church, he's the talk of the bars. What, what, what would that look like? This is when every bar in town, there's little conversations going about uh, I don't know what's going on, but I, I had a niece that came out of a, a, a wheelchair, and then this one says, yeah, and I, I've got an uncle that was addicted, and now he's completely free, and he's going around talking about Jesus, and, and, and it's not just that church, it's, it's many churches. There's something invading, and we don't know what it is, but there, it's real. There's something in, not just in the sanctuary, but in the streets, where the presence of God has been so evidently poured out that, that there's an awakening among people that aren't religious. A great awakening. The great need of America is a third great awakening. Point two, mercy is on God's heart. God doesn't only see sin... He does see sin. He sees all the perversion. He sees all of the defiance. He sees all of the disobedience. He sees all of the abuse. And he sees all of the injustice. But he doesn't just see sin. He also sees the darkness people are living in. He sees the, the demons around them. He sees the lies they've believed. He sees generational darkness. He sees what's going on in darkness. Here's what Jonah 4.11 says out of the New Living Translation. God's trying to explain to Jonah how he feels. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? When mankind's lowest lowest hour came and we were nailing Jesus to the cross. 
Jesus didn't just see what people were doing out of fear and manipulation and power and the fear of man. He didn't just see that. He saw the darkness. He saw what was going on, the blindness of mankind. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not. They know not what they're doing. They're, they're, they're blind. The mercy, the mercy of God. Jonah was carrying a message of mercy, and he knew it. Listen to what he says. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah, isn't this crazy? Jonah has been given this message. Tell Nineveh it's going to be destroyed in 40 days. And Jonah's not tricked by the message. He knows this isn't the real message. The real message is mercy. God, God's got mercy. on well, How does he know that? Because guys, if God wants to destroy Nineveh, he doesn't need to send anybody there to tell him he's going to destroy it. He'd just destroy it. The only reason why you would send somebody to say you're going to destroy it is to warn them. To warn them. There would be no reason to send someone other than that. And that's how the Ninevites took it. It, If Israel Israel sends its army to Nineveh, it's a no-brainer. The king of Nineveh gets the Ninevite army and they go out and duke it out. There's no, there's no question if the army of Israel comes. But this isn't the army of Israel coming. It's the God of Israel coming. This, is, this could only be God. That this guy would come into the enemy's camp. This could only be God. And when Jonah speaks, the Holy Spirit comes the Holy Spirit that's been brooding, and all of a sudden, everything becomes clear and real. And they put themselves in a place of mercy. Jesus wants to show us mercy. Listen to Luke 11.30. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. Jonah told his story. He said, listen, I didn't want to come here. I went away. I didn't want to warn you guys. And then I was thrown overboard. I was taken by this fish. I spit out on the shore and God said, now go and do what I say. If this was a sign, what happened to Jonah was assigned to them that, oh my, if God does all of this, he must, really, he must really want to give us a chance. He must really be warning us. If God, this is a sign to the Ninevites. That, that he told the story, and they're like, are you kidding me? This is our chance. And Jesus said this about Jonah, that Jonah is actually a sign to the bigger invitation of heaven. That Jesus said, this is why I came. 
This is why I was thrown overboard and, and, and died that death that I gave myself freely so that I could calm the waters of God's judgment against mankind. I rose from the dead on the third day because God's heart is mercy. God wants to pour out mercy. Jonah was just a foreshadowing of what I did on the cross and through the resurrection. My heart is not your judgment. It is your salvation. This is the heart of God. This is what is on God's heart today. So when I was in Faustin, Minnesota, preaching at a church called Bethel Assembly, this is many, many, many years ago, I brought a young man named Shane Holden to be my youth pastor. And Shane was, to say Shane was rough would be an understatement. I, I completely disagreed with God's decision to bring Shane there because I'm like, Shane, Lord, don't bring him here. He, he, he's going to mess this place up. He's, we need somebody more religious than Shane. And, and so Shane came up and made a mess. It was fine. Um, And God, God started moving in this church in amazing, powerful ways. And during this time, he started speaking to Shane about coming back to Madison and planting a church. And uh, eventually, Shane said that he would go. He was very much, very reluctant, very much like Jonah. But he finally, he finally came on board, and, and he had a really good idea of what he was supposed to preach, that that uh, Jude says this, to some have mercy and to others snatch as out of the fire. And Shane was definitely going to be in the second group, that, that God's judgment was going to be, had to be preached over Madison because of its immorality, because of its party spirit, because of its outward defiance of God and God's ways, that there was a, a message of judgment and he was coming to snatch a few out of the fire and one day he comes into my office and he says oh my I'm like what's up dude he says that's not the message God wants to send me to Madison to bring a message of mercy this is not going to be about judgment this is about God's mercy that's what I'm supposed to speak on I was in the first service it was at Emerson grade school I'm in the first service. Shane's text is, is Luke, Luke 19, 1 through 10 on Zacchaeus. The final verse there is verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That the Son of Man does not just come to welcome back repentant sinners. The Son of Man actually actively seeks them before they've repented. He actively goes after people just where they are, wherever they are, whatever life they're in, whatever brokenness they're in, that the Son of Man is actively seeking. And uh, a message of mercy for Madison. Mercy is on God's heart. Point three, a corporate Jonah. Here's, here's what encourages me about Jonah. I find this book very, very encouraging. Here's what encourages me. Jonah did not initiate this awakening. 
God did. This awakening did not become because Jonah prayed for it or because Jonah was hungry enough for God or thirsty enough and then put in enough. This has nothing to do with Jonah. God initiated it. God did need a partner. He needed a human partner. God has decreed. God could do it without us. He's chosen not to. He's chosen to do it with us. God always needs partners. Now, here's why this is so encouraging to me. I can't do Daniel, and I can't do Joseph. Their goodness is too intimidating to me. They're just, they're so perfect. Daniel was awesome. He never did anything wrong. He was never negligent. He never did anything bad to anybody, and God used him. Okay. I could see God using a Daniel. Joseph had all these horrible things happen, but he was always loved God, always with, with God, always did the right thing. There's no record of him doing anything wrong. I'm, I, okay, I get it. God used Joseph in a mighty way. That's great. I can't do Daniel or Joseph, but you know what? I can do Jonah. <laughs> you read Jonah, it's like, he's not a great guy. He's not a great Christian. He's got problems. But if, if God can use Jonah, if, if that's the type of partner that God needs, I can do that. Listen to, listen to say. Awesome. Second Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. This is Paul speaking. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We are partnering with God, not bringing the letter that kills, the, the, the letter that just shows people how horrible they are. We are partnering with God by this ministry of the Spirit, which is bringing God's life, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. We are partnering with God, not because of any sufficiency of ourselves, but because of God's sufficiency. God's made us adequate ministers. Now, here's what I love. <laughs> Do you know what the word adequate means? It means this. Good enough. Adequate, does, adequate is the opposite of great or awesome. Adequate is, mm, you'll do. It's good enough. God's looking not for great people in this hour. He's looking for people just like you and me. But there are three attributes that Jonah had that we need to have for God to use us. Here's the first one. Jonah was honest. Some would say honest to a fault. He was God's man. He loved God. He had a relationship with God. But he wasn't going to Nineveh. Sorry. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I'm not going. I don't care about Nineveh. In fact, I want it destroyed. That just, he's just real. He's just real. This is who I am. This is where I am. This is my heart. And he was honest. And God used his honesty 
To be God's partner, you've you got to be honest. David says this, Psalm 51.6, you desire truth in the innermost being. Guys, we don't pretend for God and perform for God and try to, try to look good in front of God so that God will somehow use us. You know what? God knows what you are. Get, get, get the mask off. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to pretend. He knows you're afraid. He knows what's going on. He knows what's really going on on the inside. You want to do business with God? You want to partner with God? You start with honesty. But he wasn't just honest. He himself had received God's mercy. He, to have a message that other people can have a second chance, you have to have accepted your own second chance first. Not just intellectually or mentally, but you actually have to own God forgives me, God loves me, God is for me, and God has given me a second chance for real. You have to own that. The message ultimately is not what we say. It's who we are. Jonah has been given a second chance, and he's now got authority to offer a second chance to others. So I was with a, a man recently in a, in a very, very dark place and working through some very dark things in his life, and he told me what his, his Christian counselor told him. He was, he was shocked by what his Christian counselor said because he had never heard it before. The Christian counselor said this, you need to start having mercy on yourself. What? He said, you need to start having mercy on yourself. He says, what do you, what, that doesn't sound quite right. And he said, well, here's, here, one of two things is going to happen. Either... You're going to agree with God who wants to have mercy on you and has chosen you for mercy. You're either going to agree with that and have mercy on yourself and you and God will walk out of this darkness together or you will agree with the accuser of the brethren. You'll, you'll, you'll agree with what darkness is saying that you are not worthy of mercy, that you are supposed to be judged, you deserve to be judged, you're going to be judged, and you're going to agree with that voice, and you and the accuser will destroy your life together. It's going to be one or the other. You'll either walk out of darkness together by agreeing with God's desire to show mercy, or you're going to agree with the accuser that you are not worthy of mercy, but only judgment, and you will be destroyed, one or the other. So I, I talked to Shane this week, and I'm, because I'm interviewing about this, I know I'm going to be speaking on this, I'm saying, when did you write it in the bulletin? Because the, the Mad City Church bulletin, I still have them, it said, Mad City Church, a message of mercy for Madison, I had a picture of the uh, Capitol, and I said, when did you, add? He, oh, he said, that, that came later, I, we didn't write it in the bulletin until later, he said, this is what happened. So he came to Madison, and he had just been a youth pastor, he never, he hardly ever spoke, he only spoke at the church a few times, he didn't know how to preach. And so he got this 20 tape. I said the word cassette tape. This is the age that it was. 20 tape series from Mike Bickle on the Song of Songs. And he'd drive around, and whenever he'd drive around, he'd listen to these tapes. And 
Mike Bickle's messages on the Song of Songs, it's all about that we are dark but lovely to him. It's about God's affection for weak, broken sinners that are trying to say yes to him. It's about God's delight in our in us, even when we're weak, even when we're failing. God's delight, that, that actually believing God's delight, believing God's emotions towards us is actually key to us coming out of our darkness. And he's like, oh my, this isn't just about God's mercy for the world. This is about God's mercy for the church. The church has to receive this message of mercy. So here's what he did. <laughs> so he goes in, they're, they're meeting at Emerson Elementary. There's 30 people coming to the church. So he starts preaching on the Song of Songs. Here's how he does it. Every week, he listens to Mike Bickle's sermon, and then he just reworks the message with his own words and his own examples, and he just preaches the same thing. 20 weeks. And he told me this week, he said, Tom, we had the most astonishing conversions in those 30 weeks. We had the most astonishing things happen where believers that were discouraged, believers that were wiped out, came back to life. He said, we went in 20 weeks from 30 to 60. The church doubled in those 20 weeks. A message of mercy. Not not just here, but here. Oh my, I am the delight of God. Even though I'm immature, even though I'm weak, Even though I'm struggling, God is crazy about me. Guys, this is the foundation of revival. That you, Paul says, I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in God's love for you, would grow up. You'd grow up that you would know the height, length, width, and depth of God's love for you. That you would know it by experience. Know his love, the height, width, and then... Be filled then with all of the fullness of God. The way you get filled with all the fullness of God is a revelation of his love for you. Third attribute of Jonah. He was honest. He embraced the mercy of God for himself. And then thirdly, he feared God more than he feared man. He said this in Jonah 1.9, they asked him who he was. This is how he self-identifies. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I don't live for people. I don't care what people think. I fear God. I live for the audience of one. I live my life before God. Here's what the Bible says, that in the fear of the Lord... Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. There is a confidence and a boldness that comes when we are living for the audience of one. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine God speaking to you and say, I have got a message for you for your worst enemy. And I need you to go and I need you to tell them that God spoke to you about them. And here's what God is saying. Can you imagine doing that? That's what Jonah did. And it just wasn't just one. It was a whole, whole city people. Do you know why it's hard to us, uh, for us to imagine it? Something called the fear of man. 
Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man is a snare. So what a snare is, it's used in hunting, and it captures something. It clamps around them, so you've got a deer that's caught in a snare, so it can't move anymore, and so it's, it wants to go somewhere, but it can't because it's caught. It, a bear is caught in the snare. A bird is caught in the snare. They can no longer move where they want to move. So here's how the, the snare of the fear of man works. God comes and says, uh, I want you to go talk to that guy at that table. Oh, God, I just love you so much. And yeah, somebody really should talk to him. But God, you, uh, you know, it would, uh, yeah, I'm going to go. Now, you know, they would think I'm really weird. I want you to go to your coworker. I'll go, I'll go, I'll, yeah, absolutely, I'll go. I, I want them to like me. What are they going to think of me if I come? What if I come out and tell them, God, I just want to be a good example. Can't I just preach the gospel by being a good example? God, I, I want to go, but I, oh, oh, I love this. Lord, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. I don't go to, I don't go to other people. God, you know I'm an introvert. I am an introvert. I don't talk to people. I just live it. You've got extroverts. Lord, send an extrovert to them. Do you know why God doesn't send an extrovert to them? Because they expect extroverts to be talking all the time. Maybe, maybe, with, maybe that was God. Maybe that isn't God. I don't know. They talk all the time anyway. So I don't, I don't know. But when you go... They know this was, this was not easy. This was almost impossible. They saw the fear in your eyes. They saw what you had to overcome. And you say those words, and they're like, this could only be God. That's what happened with Jonah. They didn't expect Jonah. They knew, are you kidding me? Jonah, are you kidding me? This is the God of Israel coming to us. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. To be God's partner. We got to get past the fear of man. And honestly, the only way you can get past the fear of man of what everybody's going to think of you, because we all, we all want people to like us. We all want to fit in. We all want, don't want to be the... The only way that you're going to break the fear of man is by a release of the fear of the Lord in your heart. That it just simply, he becomes so much greater and so much better, and your desire to please him is so strong that everything else becomes dung, including your opinion or your honor in front of other people. If I'm weird, I'm weird, but I'm going to obey God. But the title of this point was, was a corporate Jonah. We have been watching a series, it's been so powerful to me, on John Adams. John Adams was the second president, but he was, he was very instrumental in the Continental Congress and the original Declaration of Independence. And it's, it's by HBO, and I, I don't think, I think we're watching it on Netflix. I don't know how we're watching it, but 
I'm not the technology guy in the family. I just, Alice tells me what we're watching and she does it. Do your thing and, and there, there it is. And I was, I, I have just been so, so gripped by the humanity of the founding fathers. So, so here's how the series starts. It's John Adams. He's with his wife, Abigail, and he's voicing his frustration with the Continental Congress. The Continental Congress has got a representative from each of the 13 colonies. He's from Massachusetts, and they come together, and he's saying to Abigail, he's saying, I, I'm wasting my time. It takes months to get there. It takes months to come back. And then he said, nobody really wants to do anything. Everybody likes to hear them self-talk. They, they make these big presentations, and it's all about what they're saying. There is no plan to do anything. There's no desire to do anything. They just like to meet so that they can say they can meet, and for their own little agenda, their own little ego, and it's just a bunch of egos in a room. It's a waste of time. Next scene, he's at the Continental Congress again. And they're talking about the tyranny of King George and how it's getting worse and worse. And, and the guy from Pennsylvania stands up who's a very respected guy and is, is often the voice of wisdom. And, and he, says, he says, yes, there is tyranny. Yes, it will probably have to be confronted at some point. He said, but uh, wisdom says that it's not now. Wisdom says that we don't stir things up. We don't stir the pot. We need to just do nothing for now. We just need to wait. At maybe at some point in the future, but not now. And John Adams, he, he, he's just boiling in his seat. And the, the guy that's in charge of it recognizes him. He stands to his feet. And he says, Listen. You have to stand up to tyranny. This is wrong. And people in Massachusetts are already dying. They are already killing people. How bad does it have to be before we do something? It is time to rise up. It is time to stand against it. It is time to declare we will not live under tyranny. We've made all the pleas. We've made, written all the letters. It is our time right now. And so the head of the thing says to John Adams, he's like, well, what, you know, why don't you put together, let's put together a little committee, committee and you guys write some type of declaration of what, what it would look like, and then we'll come back together and we'll vote. Well, you read your little document and we'll vote. And, but they all knew this. It has to be unanimous. It will not be 12 colonies de declaring independence. It's got to be all 13. It, it, we either do this together or not at all. And so he puts John Adams in charge. John Adams recruits Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, and they are supposed to work on the declaration, this declaration about independence from England. And, and they, they show the scene, and he's like, he's, like, he's like, I'm really good at talking, but I don't write. And then Thomas Jefferson, so he says to Thomas Jefferson, you need to write this. Thomas Jefferson says, you know what? I can't speak, but I can write. And so he writes it and brings it back for them to look at. And so John Adams and Benjamin Franklin are reading this thing, and they're like, dude, we sent you to write a little statement about independence from England, 
You have written a transcendent document about the rights of all mankind. This is insanely amazing. And they, they bring it back to the, to the Continental Congress and, and they read it and um, they go around and they have this vote and, and it's unanimous. And these regular human broken people rise above their own egos, their own agenda, their own wisdom, and they, they unite together. These, are, these are, are, are broken men. Their brokenness is seen that this transcendent document called the Declaration of Independence somehow excluded women and black people. I mean, the, the, these are regular guys. They're, they're not amazing people. But they rise above it, and they unite together against the tyranny. And they pledge to each other that we will sacrifice everything for this. And the price they're going to pay, this is an act of treason against England. The price that they're going to pay is very evident to them. Here's what Benjamin Franklin said. This is the point he said it. Most surely we will either hang together or we will hang separately. This is treason. This is time we need to come together and do this thing. So here's why, here's why it was so encouraging to me. Guys, it didn't matter that they wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. It didn't matter that they came together and rose to the best version of themselves and decided to, to, to go against England. It didn't matter. None of that mattered. The only reason America was founded was because God wanted to start a country. Amen. The odds against them winning, even with all of that, honestly, you fight that war a thousand times and 999 times Britain wins. Easy. They've got more men, they've got more troops, they've got more armaments, they've got strategy. The, the miracles that had to happen for America to be founded, are, are, it's just, it, just study the American Revolution and you realize there, there was so, the, the, the discouragement, the, the sickness, the smallpox took out the, it was just, it was horrible and it happened because God wanted to do it. That's why, that's why America was founded. He had partners. The partners had to unify. But it wasn't because they were great guys. It was because God is a great God and this is what he wanted to do. And so that brings us to point four. Last point, America today. So a few years ago, there's a prophet in our country named Dutch Sheets. If he's not a prophet, he's just, maybe he's just really prophetic. I don't know. But he was at Christ for the Nations. He was given a flag, one of, the, one of the founding flags of America. It was before the American Revolution. It was the flag that was flown over uh, George Washington's secret navy in 1775. They flew, they flew this flag. It's, a, it's called Appeal to Heaven, and it's an evergreen tree. And... Uh, it was about America's 
Hope then and now is an appeal to heaven. It's only what heaven can do. So he gets this flag, this ancient flag, and a few days later, a pastor calls him from Florida and says, I, ha- I've had, I just had the craziest, craziest dream. And he, he told it's, a, it's, a, it's about revival in America and about from the founding and, and what God's doing and the voices that he's raising up. And he says, Dutch, he says, uh, he says, God is raising you up as one of the voices for this generation. And then he said, I, he said, I, I saw a, a flag being given to you. He said, it was the craziest flag. I've never heard anything like it, but it was, a, it was an evergreen tree and it said, appeal to heaven over the top. And this is, and so Dutch Sheets wrote a book. We, we did it at our prayer It's a little thin pamphlet, really, called An Appeal to Heaven, that God, that God wants to do something great, that America's last chance isn't in politics, it's in God. It's in God's ability, God's desire to move. Here is what Dutch Sheets wrote to all of us. God is calling forth an army of faithful followers who will come up out of their discouragement to boldly push back the darkness. Many leaders in government, health, education, and ministry are having to make a decision right now. Am I going to compromise and yield to the enemy's plans? I, for one, say what America's founding fathers said upon signing the Declaration of Independence and thereby committing an act of treason against the crown. Here's what they said. I pledge my life, my fortune, my sacred honor, everything to stop this insidious plan of hell. Will you join me? Those are the words of Dutch Sheets. September of 2005, I had a prophetic experience, not going to go into it, but let me just tell you what it, what, what it was. I'm, at this time, I'm in Community Bible Church in Montevideo, Minnesota, and I have an experience And God says he's going to bring two churches together, Mad City Church and Lake City Church, and he's going to make one church called City Church. And he says to me two things. One is, the reason why it's going to be called City Church is in the end times, God's going to use the city-wide church. The name is a sign to the city that God, it's, it's going to be a different paradigm. It's not going to be this church, this church, this church, all divided up, all judging each other. I'm going to use the church in a city. And they're going to think together. They're going to work together. They're going to unify together. It's going to be the city-wide church. And the second thing he said is when this happens... It's going to be a sign to you that there's going to be an end times revival. Guys, the idea that these two churches would come together with different cultures and that I'd be the pastor of this, it's, it's so often. I remember what I said at the time. I laughed. I said, God, if this ever happens, I will be all in for an end times revival. There, there, it will be impossible for me to not believe for an end times revival. So here's, here's my situation. It is my assignment from heaven to believe God for an end times revival. That's my assignment. Now, part of my assignment is to help you believe it. I don't want to convince you. God needs to convince you. But I'm just kind of God's little helper as part of my assignment. Here's what happened Tuesday night. Lady sent me this email and said, Pastor, this is what happened to me on Tuesday night. She says, I want to share with you what I received on Tuesday night at worship. As I heard the word push, 
I saw us as a unit, like we were in a rowboat, and we were all rowing together in the same motion and on the same rhythm. We were all saying together, push, 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 which means pray until something happens. Prayer changes things, so let us continue to push together until the revival comes. This is the email she sent me. I was sharing it with Derek in my office, and Derek said this. He said, I love the picture of a crew rowing. Because do you know that when, when, when you got to row together, do you know that when they row, they can't see where they're going? They can see where they came from, but you row backwards. You row looking at where you came from. You don't know where you're going. You have to trust the lead person to speak, to say, we're going the right direction. We're going in the right place. And he said, this is the, this is the picture of us right now. God has spoken to us as, a, as a, a leadership team. I believe he's speaking to us as a church. Get ready. And he's made it very clear to me. You don't know where you're going. You don't, you don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. We've actually set these, side, these nights aside called worshiping and waiting. The next one is next Sunday night at 6 to 8 p.m. There's no agenda. We come and we worship and we wait and just say, God, what? 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 Could we have every head bowed and every eye closed? Two groups that I want to pray for. First one is this. As I have shared this story today and preached this message, the person, if you were totally honest, the person that you most identify with are the Ninevites. You're the person that strangely enough, you're here today, you wouldn't usually be here maybe, this isn't your thing, but you're here and somehow you believe. You believe God is holy, you believe you are a sinner, you believe that if you got what was coming to you, it would be judgment. But strangely, you also believe that God wants to have mercy on you. This is why Jesus came. God, God, when God thinks about you, he doesn't think about judging you. He thinks about mercy. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again so that he could have mercy, so that he could speak mercy to transform your life. The Bible says this. Jesus says these words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus is knocking. And today, you want to own that he's knocking, and you want to, by faith, open your heart and say, Jesus, yes, I receive your mercy. I agree with your mercy for me. Come in, save me, give me that relationship of eternal life. If that is you with every head bow, head bowed and eye closed, would you just raise your hand real high? I want to have a prayer for you. All across this place, let's see that hand. God bless you, sir. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Upraised hand. Anybody? I see that hand in the back of the balcony, on the side of the balcony. I see that hand. This one in the middle of the balcony. Jesus is knocking. This isn't about a pastor or a preacher. I got you. God bless you. This is about God's knocking. And he's saying, I've got mercy for you. I've got a new beginning for you. It's not over. You've said to yourself, it's over. It's not over. Jesus said, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. Gotcha. God bless you. 
It's just beginning. I'd like everybody that raised their hand, if you would just slip that hand over your heart right now and pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, I I own my sin. I own your righteousness, your holiness, your right to judge. You have a right to judge me. And it would look very, very bad if I got what was coming to me. I own all of that. But I also believe, Lord, you are knocking today that you died for me, that you rose from the dead for me, that mercy is on your heart and mine for me. And Lord, I am today by faith opening my door. Come in, please, Jesus, come in and save me. Come in and forgive me. Come in and wash me. I receive right now by faith that gift of eternal life. And Lord, why don't you go ahead and sign me up to be one of those Jonas that's gonna partner with you to help others too. Would you do that, Lord? I trust you to do it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, could we stand to our feet? The second call is get out of religion mode. Religion's not gonna help us, guys. This is not us telling God we'll do a bunch of stuff that we have no plan to do. This is getting real with God. You're You're here today, you've heard this message, and you say, I can do Jonah. If all you need is Jonah, I can do that. I I can be honest. I can receive mercy. And I can pray for the fear of the Lord to come in in a way that the fear of man is completely broken. I, I can be, I can partner with that. And I'm willing to rise above our petty little differences that divide us. I'm willing to say, because of the tyranny of hell, because of the destruction of darkness, we need to come together. We need to rise up together as a church, but with other churches and come together, not apart, and say, Jesus, use even us. I want to be part of that. I am willing to be part of that. If that's you, would you just open your hands like this? Close your eyes. Lord, I can't rise up an army. I'm one little voice, kind of like John Adams was passionate, yelling a lot, frustrated. But you raised something up with normal, regular people. God, would you raise us up? Would you raise us up out of our discouragement? Would you raise us up out of our pettiness and divisions? Would you raise us up out of our judgments and criticisms and being able to find what's wrong with everybody else and every other church? And raise us out of that, Jesus. Unite us together. You said, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. Then the world will believe. Part of revival is the church coming together as one. Then awakening comes to the world. Lord, would you bring us together? Would you unite us together? The Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel wisely said, Lord, you know. Only you know whether they can. And God said, Ezekiel, Start prophesying to the bones. As you speak, my spirit is going to breathe on the dry bones. I am going to bring the dry bones together, and then I'm going to put life on them. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you our dry bones right now. We give you our dryness, our coldness, our stubbornness. 
Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us, God. Let your breath go through us and bring life where there has been death. Break discouragement off the back of your church. And Lord, I pray that you'd release the mercy of heaven over all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're going to have some ministry teams up here. We'll, there will be some more worship. Lord, do what you alone can do, we pray.